Welcome to the AI Business Podcast, where we feature conversations with interesting guests at the intersection of artificial intelligence and business. Welcome to the AI Business Podcast. My name is Deborah Yao. I'm editor of AI Business, and I'm very pleased to welcome Rob Nestor, who is the U.S. CEO of Craft Technologies. Welcome, Rob. Thanks, Deborah. Thanks for having me. So first of all, tell us uh, about your company and what you do. Sure. Craft Technologies is sort of classic fintech investtech that's really at the intersection of bringing artificial intelligence processes into investment decision making, whether that's asset allocation, whether it's security selection, or whether that's trading insights. We we want to be the driver of the enablement of artificial intelligence across across the board, you know, over the coming generation. And so I understand you are a veteran of two of the biggest names on Wall Street, Vanguard and BlackRock. Uh, tell me what made you decide to uh, to join Kraft. Yeah. So obviously I worked for two of the biggest names, actually the two world's two largest asset managers. And those places gave me, they're great organizations, great brands, gave me the opportunity to do a lot of different things, which was hugely formative from a, from a career standpoint. But, you know, they were safe environments, quite frankly, and very large companies. And there's pros and cons that come with that. I had never really, I came from a family that had uh, a family business. I was never a part of it, but I always appreciated the entrepreneurial spirit of that. And I always throughout my career said, if I get the chance uh, and before I'm done, I would like to take a shot at a true sort of rich entrepreneurial opportunity. And so Kraft came along. I first worked with them in a more consultative role um, in in figuring out sort of their the distribution strategy, product strategy, which is really a lot of my background, but I was fascinated by the technology. And when the opportunity came to really begin their business in the U.S. and they offered me the opportunity to start it, I couldn't turn that down. So I'm just curious, where are they based? So Kraft is a founded and still headquartered firm. Uh, I've been around for six years in building out the Asia business. But last year we got uh, a nearly $150 million capital infusion from one of the world's largest venture capitalist firms in SoftBank. And that really mm-hmm. gave us the opportunity to expand in the U.S. So tell me with Kraft, what pain point or problem are you solving? Um, I, I'd say maybe a little bit less of a pain point and more of sort of an opportunity. So as we all know, artificial intelligence has changed our world dramatically, right? So between healthcare diagnostics, you know, marketing, advertising, following us on our phones, or even, you know, as simply as our map function, our Google Maps, which we cannot live without. All of those things and many, many other things are powered by artificial intelligence. But the asset management business and specifically the process of investment decision-making, either at the bottoms-up level with securities or at the top-down level with asset allocation, really hasn't participated in in the use of artificial intelligence. I think there's a variety of reasons why that you know may be, which we'll we'll talk about. But we see the real opportunity in artificial intelligence is taking that very, very powerful human intuition that is a, 
obviously a big part of investment decision making. But leveraging that with with machine learning, deep learning, other artificial techniques to dramatically increase the scope, scale, and speed of analysis. We think the adoption in the investment decision-making portion of asset management is inevitable, and we are pioneers mm-hmm. there, and we want to be a key, key enablement of that um, you know, over the next you know, 10 years and beyond. So AI is being used in, in finance, but as you said, you know, um, it, they could be using it more. So right. where do you see typically AI being leveraged today on Wall so, Street? So for, for probably 10 years or more, AI has been an integral part of a lot of trading functions in our business. In fact, the origins of Kraft were actually on the trading side, and that is a meaningful business Uh, for us in Asia today. And then more recently, artificial intelligence played a big role in sort of operational efficiencies in the asset management business. Client, not just sort of traditional sort of client processing and bringing scale to that, but also helping uh, decision makers like wealth advisors um, understand and analyze their book of business at a much, much greater scope. And a lot of the more recent developments in this space have been around that. But it really hasn't penetrated to a large degree the real investment decision-making portion of asset management. And we think that is Mm -hmm. the next frontier. And that is what Kraft is really focusing on, enabling and accelerating. So, um, uh, but isn't like wealth management um, all about the person, the personality and giving more bespoke um, investment advice? Um, So how do you, how do you use AI in that? Wouldn't that kind of deflect the personal nature of of this business? Yeah. So, so AI at its, at its heart is about scaling analysis and data. Uh, And that data can come in many different forms uh, from traditional financial data to web traffic to sort of a variety of different different forms. And and artificial intelligence allows the the analysis and scaling of that at uh, a speed that, you know, cannot be accomplished by human alone. But it also can be, to get, you know, directly to your question, it also can be very, very responsive to changing dynamics of the marketplace and, frankly, changing dynamics in terms of the risk equation uh, and the risk tolerance of sort of any individual. So, you know, as you know, the last 30, ever since the great financial crisis, Mm -hmm pretty clearly. I mean, it didn't, it almost didn't matter where you invested as much as you were invested. It's the longest, greatest bull market of our times. But the last six to seven months have been a sobering reality of that risk still exists and markets can go down. And so, you know, AI allows for and facilitates a very responsive strategy to those changing market dynamics and those changing investor sentiments, um, and and we think that is one of sort of the one of the real areas of growth in this space in the adoption of AI. There's a lot of other things going on, some of which I talked about in, in my op-ed, in that you know, sort of the changing face of demographics. Ten thousand people are retiring um, 
every, or excuse me, 10,000 people are turning 65 every day in the U.S. We're on the cusp of the, and it's really kind of started, I guess, in a lot of pockets of this great decumulation that the industry has been talking about for, for 15 years. And decumulation involves a much different dimensionality than accumulating for retirement, right? If we make, if we make mistakes or there's a major life or market calamity and accumulation, we have a lot of options. We can work longer. We can double down on savings, Sort of, we've got time is on our side. Uh, in the accumula, in the excuse me, in the decumulation phase, your your options are very limited, especially if you're deep into it and something happens. Investors are in that in that period are going to need more responsive strategies. There's also a changing dimensionality there. It's about creating income from your portfolio to support your your life's needs and life spending. There and there's sort of a different dimensionality on the on the factors, the inputs, and the considerations, and we think AI is going to play a big role in in that going forward. So, just for our listeners, um, the op-ed that Rob mentioned is an excellent piece he wrote for Barrons, and accumulation uh, means actually taking out the money that you've saved over the years. So your focus is not growing your retirement, but actually having a disciplined and smart way of withdrawing without, um, without jeopardizing, you know, the long-term, uh, your long-term savings and making sure you have enough money to last your lifetime. So that's what exactly. that means. Uh, so, okay. Tell, walk me through how AI can actually help in risk management. It's especially given uh, so- today's, you know, very volatile markets, like you said, it seems like the bull market is 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 over. We had a small blip during the pandemic, but now there's talk about whether it's a bear market bounce or bear market's over. Yeah. We don't know. But how how can AI help in risk management? Yeah. So it always it always starts with the data, and the data is growing at you know exponential factor uh, in you know in broadly in the industry and in just sort of our world and our life. So it always starts with the data and. Data is the fuel of AI, um, but it's not just the aggregate data, but AI has the ability to, to deal with test repetitively and learn. That is the, as, as the heart of what artificial intelligence is about, is learn from the past and consistently adjust in, in, its, um, in its recommendations and its factors, but always overseen by a human. So very directly, um, there's a couple of different ways that the artificial intelligence plays a role in that investment decision making. Um, artificial intelligence can um, analyze tremendous amounts of data to look at stocks and drivers of return mm-hmm. and build portfolios very much from the bottom up that reflect uh, the most attractive securities based on those drivers' returns, but also the dimensions mm-hmm. of risk that any individual uh, or frankly, any asset manager, advise wealth advisor wants to wants to mm-hmm. accomplish. It's flexibility and scale is very powerful. So if you want a portfolio that has mm-hmm. the opportunity to sort of add alpha but have relatively tra- tight ta- tracking error or risk, then we can b- build for that. And AI processes allow for that. Or if you want it to be highly tactical to be more aggressive, to be sort of more narrow in its approach and bottoms up, that can be done. 
So that's one dimension of focus that you know is common to any wealth advisor or any investment manager. The other dimension, or one of the other dimensions, is sort of top down. So we have proprietary capital markets models that looks at the um, at a, a sort of very wide level and sub level the different components of our our world from a capital markets perspective and make asset very specific asset <laughs> allocation decisions whether it be on rates, whether it be on credit, whether it be on equity dimensions, both domestically and globally, and make very specific recommendations as to an appropriate asset allocation in, in the current environment that we're in. And obviously right now, one is uh, well, of particular interest because of what has happened uh, year to date. And then the third dimension is really analyzing and determining opportunities to improve uh, on cost reduction and efficiency around the trading function. Um, and specifically look at things like um, the, the depth and width of order book and what demand will be there on any individual stock or any individual security and improve the efficiency of returns. And it does that at a scale, scope, and speed that a human alone could never match. So it's really about man and machine and leveraging that human intuition. Would it be fair to describe it as, you know, uh, supercharging current risk management and in and trading techniques um, at, at a scale that people cannot simply cannot match? Yeah, that that's that's the uh, that's the dimension that we think is really really important to understand. A lot of people frame this as replacing the the man with the robot so it's man versus robot you know we never think about it that way because at its heart you know artificial intelligence strategies are have a very distinct human dimension they're very proprietary to the organization of what they have there's always a human involved uh, and it's really about teaching teaching the machine the robot however you want to call it to learn at a scale that the human alone could never do and an analysis of data and scope of data that a human alone could never do. But it's, so it's really supercharging human intellect and intuition um, at great scale. So uh, there's one problem with AI though that um, could be important for, for uh, financial applications and that is the black box problem. Uh, because if you had a trader, you can just ask, so why did you do X, Y, Z? Why did you make this trade? And they can tell you, uh, but AI cannot, cannot tell you, or is there a way to, to figure it out? It, it's definitely harder. And, you know, black box to your point is often sort of the, the label of some of this, the, of, of some of these processes. And that's not a that's not a new label that sort of goes back to sort of to traditional quantitative processes that that have uh, been around for decades, right? But there's this concept of explainability that is you know cuts across not not only artificial intelligence application in, in asset management, but it cuts across sort of other dimensionality in other industries. But it's to your point, it's particularly pronounced in as manager, because people want to understand, you know, why does the, why does the uh, portfolio driven by AI hold Microsoft, not hold IBM? It is, it is admittedly very difficult to get at that level of precision because uh, it's, those are always put together, almost always put together in a portfolio context, but there is always intuition 
that is built into that. And we spend a lot of time talking with, with clients, what are the you know, primary drivers at any point in time and what the model likes and dislikes. <clears throat> and we can pinpoint, or pinpoint might be too strong of a directed word, but we can give pretty, pretty decent indications of why the model likes something at a particular point in time. It's not absolute to translate it into weights would it's because it's a you know iterative process uh, you know often of you know risk reduction that isn't always about the specific stock but but the bottom line is we can give that we can give some sense of explainability and intuition but it's not easy and I will tell you it's you know it's an evolved process and an evolving process that that providers of artificial mm-hmm. intelligence capabilities, continue to do need to focus on and do a better job of. And that that is definitely a focus of ours. So what role do you, how is the role of the financial advisor changing in the age of AI then? Yeah. So, you know, the financial advisors, you know, I grew up in an industry where the financial advisor generally distinguished themselves by their specific investment decisions. And oftentimes, at least 30 years ago, that was by picking one stock or, you know, picking the other. Obviously, we know that has evolved at a lot of different dimensions. The rise of uh, more formulaic packaged advice has played a huge role in, in our business, in the asset management business to a great degree. And I think many advisors, no absolutes here, but a large portion of the advisory world has evolved both sort of risk management and dimensionality and helping clients sort of understand trade-offs because most of them can present multiple answers depending on what that person is looking to accomplish. And so it's moved very deeply into the risk management standpoint, but also, and I don't mean this pejoratively, although many will say this, the handholding process and making sure people sort of understand what is going on in their portfolios. There's not often a need to react, you know, uh, at least aggressively to sort of near-term things and give people confidence that the plan is there. And, and so in a lot of regards, I think mm-hmm. it's moved from sort of a stock picking framework, <clears throat> excuse me, up 30 years ago to very much risk management and guidance framework. And um, I think that will continue to be sort of the future of wealth management. I go for it. And it's a very, very important role. How do you think AI will impact two of the most popular investments today, which is index funds for passive investing and also ETFs? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure that AI will play a dramatic impact in index investing as a general matter. I mean, I think there will be on the margin processes that we apply to in order to identify um, and and support sort of more customized creation of this, much like it, it it supports the building of portfolios. Um, I think you know this concept of custom indexing, self-indexing. I think is you know often driven by artificial intelligence processes, mm-hmm. but the core advantages of indexing, um, super low cost, super efficient exposures. I don't think we'll be dramatically impacted by by artificial intelligence processes. As it relates to sort of ETFs, I think 
there's going to be probably a bigger sort of impact there because well, one, we know that, you know, ETFs, you know, historically have been defined by exposures, like dis discrete slices and sub slices of the world and is the incredible scale and modularity that ETFs have brought to investment decision-making is, is, uh, you know, quite powerful. But we now know sort of the net, what's the next frontier there is where I think AI is going to play a bigger role. We're now seeing a movement, you know, of uh, ETFs uh, adopting and wrapping sort of strategies or traditional sort of, you know, alpha processes, uh, recognition that the ETF is superior mousetrap to mutual funds or other types of wrappers that have been applied. In that regard, we, we expect, you know, artificial intelligence to play you know, a bit much bigger role in the alpha processing sources. So we expect we will see, um, you know, more strategies, uh, active strategies driven by artificial intelligence. Obviously, we have we have four of them listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, we have more planned for later this year. And, and others are starting to use those processes in that regard. So we'll see more in that regard, particularly in the product creation. I'm so glad you mentioned Alpha because that's a nice segue into your article for Barron's where you identified the top trends of AI in asset management. So I think the number mm -hmm. one thing that you mentioned was Alpha in a low return environment. Uh, do you want to expand on that? I know you touched on that already. Sure. So, you know, as we talked about real briefly early in, in our discussions, you know, the last 13 years have been a Goldilocks period. Um, for investors, uh, particularly U.S. investors, um, and it it uh, really drove the rise of passive index investing, you know, in that regard. And that's certainly not going away. That's going to continue to grow. But you know, I think there is the reality that people were recognizing that you know markets can go down, volatility has returned. And by almost all pronostications, we've, you know, we've borrowed forward a lot of returns from the last 10 years. Uh, and most feel like that, you know, mid single digits, maybe mid high single digit returns are the reality for equity portfolios for, for some time to come. And I think that is also good. That's going to drive people's reconsideration of alpha, both because they're not going to probably be willing to accept single mid single digit returns and are going to come back to alpha, but probably as much or more sort of the recognition of risk here and that that hasn't gone away. I frequently say that, you know, sh you know, sharp ratios again, which I grew up with, uh, you know, where it's is the classic sort of risk measurement uh, almost died in the last 10 years, because as long as you were invested, it just went up, up. And I think it's good. They're going to return. Um, I think the dimensionality around risk is going to return. And I think those are going to be drivers of uh, a, a reseeking of alpha opportunities. And I think artificial intelligence is going to be at the center of it. You also mentioned robo-advisors um, as one mm -hmm. of the trends that AI is going to change. Um, can yep. you discuss that a little bit more? Sure. Sure. So, and, and I think it, I, I fold that into sort of this sort of broader sort of packaged advice framework, right? That, that is, that has grown uh, exponentially over the last 10 years, but, you know, a lot of the answers have been, you know, really good answers, but relatively simple answers. I think there's a, 
there's a lot of parallels to the ESG side, which maybe we'll talk about in a moment. And what I mean by that is they haven't been sort of overly precise solutions, but they've been fairly sort of thoughtful, uh, efficient solutions. I think you're going to see an evolution of, of package advice that is going to demonstrate more responsiveness, a greater recognition of changing risk dynamics and changing market dynamics. And that is where artificial intelligence really thrives. When the data is evolving quickly and fastly and its interpretation is less clear, um, artificial intelligence could play a, a much, much bigger role. And so I think it's going to play um, a much more bigger role across the elements of package advice, whether it be robo, whether it be model portfolios, uh, and other sort of more, what I guess a lot of people would think about as sort of formulaic answers, but formulaic answers in the sense of uh, understanding and being responsive to risk dimensions, I think AI is going to play a big role. There. Yeah, my experience with robo-advisors is, you know, they give you kind of a canned response based on uh, certain mm -hmm. demographic information you give them. So AI would, right. um, as you envision it, would really make robo-advisors smarter uh, and they're able to provide mm -hmm. something more customized to the and appropriate to the investor over it, and above the, the formulaic answers they, that today they're giving out. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, uh, you know, at its heart, AI is a technology like other technologies. And one of the core sort of characteristics of technologies is its scalability, right? And so artificial intelligence processes and designs are sort of very scalable uh, in order to address sort of very sort of individual risk tolerance, risk dimensions, uh, and respond to different market dynamics that allows it to be a little bit more targeting than, um, you know, sort of traditional, you know, packaged advice. And, you know, I think it's going to evolve packaged advice in that direction in, in a big way. So before we go on to, you, men we, we, uh, you mentioned ESG before and how AI can help in the ESG goals of, uh, of people. Um, how do you find Wall Street, like, Wall Street's acceptance of AI? Um, it's a heavily regulated yeah. industry and, and lots of money is thrown. Yeah, I, so I think the adoption is, I often coin baseball analogies, right? And say, you know, whatever it is, it's, you know, that process is in the, you know, top of the third inning or the bottom of the seventh inning. I frequently talk about AI as, the leadoff hitter hasn't even got into the batter's box yet. It is very, very early days of of adoption, uh, but I think it will progress with with many of these dimensions. And I think ESG um, is uh, informative uh, of that. So ESG is uh, at its heart a data problem, um, and you know it's sort of interpreting a variety of different elements to make judgments on how much companies are consistent with a variety of different frameworks in environment, social and governance matters. And I think the early, obviously there's tremendous amount of passion around these issues, um, but I think it's it's still very early days of adoption. It's how formative it has been in our industry. I think it's probably been the dominant discussion point over the last uh, probably two to three years. I, I think, it's really just in its early phase. The early answers, the early investment answers have been fairly blunt in their application. I think it's been more about 
just participating rather than developing sort of precise answers. And, and, and frankly, as a general matter, the data is fairly short lived, um, you know, beyond 10 years, a lot of the data is not, is not deep and not good or ambiguous beyond that. And artificial intelligence thrives in sort of that environment. I think it in parallel will drive a lot of the more precise answers. Um, I think much like the ETF, you know, industry 20 years ago was really defined by broad exposures and now has gotten incredibly sort of modular and precise mm -hmm. in terms of the answers. I think in that same way, ESG will grow to be developed sort of more precise, direct sub themes and customized answers for, for individuals. So I, I still think it's very, very early days in the adoption of ESG. I think AI will play a role there, a big role there. And I think it's likely between the two of them will be amongst the most formative impacts um, over the next 10 years in the asset management. This has surprised you that AI adoption is not more advanced than it is because Wall Street is a very quantitative place. And uh, anything that drives more return, people usually jump on. Uh, look at high-speed trading, you know, so that, that made waves like, what, 10 years ago or something? Uh, so why... You know, right. you'd think that everyone would be jumping in, trying to get the data that AI models need to train on uh, to generate that extra alpha yeah. for clients, you know? Yeah, I think there's I think there's a variety of reasons why why it hasn't uh, been adopted. I think of a lot of the a lot of the sort of early uh, people that sort of studied this went into other industries. I think there's been a fear of like that this inevitably means, you know, massive job replacement. And if I adopt these ideas that, uh, you know, I may put myself out of a job and it's not inconsequential to build these functions and build these, these competencies. So I think all of that is, and, and, you know, quite frankly, and it goes, probably goes back to a little bit, Deborah, to you, you mentioned earlier is this sort of explainability quotient here and the need for people to sort of get comfortable about what is actually happening. I think all of those have probably held back uh, adoption to some degree, but I think a lot of those are being conquered. I think people, so I think it's an inevitable that these ideas will be, will be adopted in the core investment decision processes here. And, you know, we're, we're going to be a pioneer there in, in a lot of respects. And I think we're on the cusp of a lot of that adoption. There's a, there's a lot going on. We're obviously aware of many, of many peers at sort of our stage of, of participation, but also some of the larger firms are working on this internally and they just have not come to market. So I think it's really going to mushroom uh, in development over the next uh, two to Do you think years. that the current bear market we're in and the uh, refocus on risk management and, and getting higher returns in a low return environment, do you think that's going to, kind of give a give a boost to AI efforts a absolutely for you know the, some of the reasons we talked about already as well as others I think you know a lot of people had just decided that they didn't really need to look for alpha or look for additional sources of return in the last 13 years with a consistently rising market um, and I think they're going to return uh, to a greater degree in seeking alpha processes and seeking opportunities wherever they may exist. 
to add value. And then as we talked about sort of all of the, the risk dimensions that have come back uh, to be front and center for, for the industry, particularly in the last, you know, six to seven months, I don't think that's going the way. I think that we will have, uh, I think volatility is here to stay at least for the short to intermediate term. Um, there's a lot of sort of uncertainty in our world, as we well know, inflation risk, fed market changes, the dimensions, have changed. And I think that that uncertainty is going to drive people's consideration of, of alternative ways to source alpha and AI will be a part of that. Can you share some examples that you, of what you craft is doing with your clients and you don't have to mention your clients if it's confidential, just some ideas of how you're implementing your models. Sure. So, you know, one area, in fact, we just met with an, I'll go with unnamed client yesterday around that is a platform looking for distinguishing opportunities that are highly sort of tactical that are driven by artificial intelligence. So they have very sort of specific, they, they look at the world through, through more through the lens of top-down capital market opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are building for them a highly tactical um, capital markets model that will look to um, access uh, over 45 different sort of asset classes and sub-asset classes in a a very responsive uh, multi-asset portfolio that is driven not just by, you know, purely sort of alpha opportunities, but with a highly uh, refined sort of risk framework that, that overlays it. And, um, and we're going to do that in a very sort of customized way. And that is, that is fairly sort of typical ask from the clients that are engaged with us. They want to access the power of the AI, but they want to do it on their terms. And they have very sort of specific asset class and risk dimensions that they want to accomplish, but they want to have AI be the fundamental sort of driver, uh, on that. Um, another area that we're working on and it sort of goes to sort of the other side is in the ESG world. Um, we have a, a client that's sort of interested in more refined sub theme of you if they have a particular passion on diversity and inclusion. And um, we're working to sort of frame what that sort of sort of using uh, one of the classic artificial intelligence techniques, natural language processing to identify companies globally at great scale that have leading um, policies and procedures as it relates to uh, in, uh, inclusion and diversity. Um, and, and then building a portfolio from the bottoms up that reflects a heavy, heavy exposure based on traditional um, frameworks but does so in a diversified way without too much deviation from the, from the broader benchmark. And again, artificial intelligence allows for that sort of scaling in a, in a very direct way. But those are just sort of some of the flavors of what we're working on for clients with artificial intelligence. So um, I'm sure you have, uh, have proofs of concept and how does your model compare? And maybe you, if everything is kind of bespoke, you could give me an, an, exa- uh, an actual case or use case that you've you've uh, deployed. Well, how does that come? Sorry, Debbie, you cut out. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Could you ask? Yeah, that? sure. So, yeah. uh, 
how do you compare your um, the results of your AI model versus if the client uses their own model? Like which one gives them a better better return or better result? Yeah. So I mean, sometimes clients bring sort of their own their own sort of investment process to the table and ask us just to potentially approve upon what they're sort of already doing in that regard. Or they do it just to more sort of probably closer to your question to just sort of compare in that, you know, in that regard. And, and a lot of it comes down to sort of what are, you know, it, it's what we're designing, you know, exactly what they're trying to do from a, uh, from an asset class standpoint, from a risk dimension standpoint, and then, you know, sort of trying to compare sort of where it where it's better or worse or where it's more responsible or what environments it may do better in than their you know particular model and and oftentimes people will not necessarily get rid of what they're doing but use our model as as a diversifier because one of the things that I think is also sort of powerful in artificial intelligence is and and investment portfolios designed as such as sort of the diversification of alphas. You know, artificial intelligence is not necessarily going to, of course, you know, outperform in every single, you know, period, uh, or even that much more frequently than traditional models. But over time, we believe fully that it will, it will bring efficiencies to the process and more often than not outperform. And that's, you know, that's the evidence that we have you know, thus far. Um, and so you're approach. using back-tested data to, to, to see. Yeah, ultimately you're always, but artificial intelligence. So what it, the, the typical framing of artificial intelligence, and this isn't just us, this is, this is most people using the processes. You have what's called a training period, which is where you are developing the sort of core dimensions of the design. I mean, basically the code, which, which helps sort of uh, define what the machine will learn, how will they will learn and do. And that's called the training period. It's typically a period of 10 to 15 years of data. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's even longer. And then what, and then that is followed. And we, that's always just internally viewed. It's never quoted sort of publicly in that regard. Frankly, you can't, you know, the law doesn't allow you to do that, but it, it's not just the law. You know, we don't think it makes sense to do that. That's where that's where the machine is learning. And then after that is what's called out of sample uh, adoption, where we are not adjusting the model at all. It is running, you know, on its own uh, with oversight from us and, you know, maybe some marginal adjustment. But by and large, it reflects what that original training period was. And it is learning on its own drivers of return and risk dimensionality. So that's what's commonly called in quant world is out of sample um, and, and not being adjusted just to make a return look good uh, in that period. That is the period that we'll often share, you know, or at times share in um, sort of one-on-one conversations with professional investors. So what's next for Kraft? What's next for Kraft? Well, I mean, we're so early days that we're still sort of working on the existing. I mean, we're we're 
developing a lot of different strategies in, in areas. We're going to develop some more ETFs uh, later this year and then into 2023. But a lot of our business, frankly, is in fact, today, almost all of our business is beyond the ETFs and really developing customized strategies for for firms at all at all different levels, all different sizes, all different investment objectives. Um, and we're going to continue to do that for a while while we work, while we hone some of our sort of other research that isn't to market yet. Um, and really to sort of expand our investment capabilities and offerings beyond what, I mean, a large portion of our, on the security selection side is almost all equity focused. Capital markets were across, you know, every major asset class on a top-down basis. But on bottoms up, we really haven't explored fixed income in a, in a big way yet. And so that's, that's uh, mm-hmm. a big part of uh, the dimension that we want to uh, deliver to to investors uh, over time. So I have two last questions for you. And and one is, can you just um, maybe briefly describe your AI ETFs? What makes them sure. different? Sure. So we have four uh, ETFs traded on the New York Stock Exchange, all driven by artificial intelligence processes. They all uh, are um, land in that area of both two levels. Fact, uh, excuse me, harvesting traditional factor premiums that, you know, over the last four or five years, investors have become to become very familiar with momentum, value, you know, low risk, um, quality and the likes and harvesting, harvesting those factors uh, from that. And then we add a dimensionality of security selection over and above that. Uh, QRFT is our flagship uh, E-factor ETF driven by AI, um, and that is a multi-factor approach that actually just just uh, had its three-year anniversary and has a, a five-star rating from NSTAR. And that really looks to combine multiple factors and then add security selection over and above it. NVQ is just focused on the value factor and adding adding security selection, you know, over and above that. AMOM is classic momentum strategy. Uh, but again, not just capturing the factor, but adding security selection over that. And then HDIV, HDIV is our dividend-focused approach there. Fantastic. Any final thoughts, Rob? Uh, only that, you know, we're, I think we're at the cusp of acceptance, wider acceptance and wider adoption of artificial intelligence. In that regard, Kraft is sort of very focused on enabling uh, that dimension across uh, the asset management business. Um, and as I said, we're sort of very early days, and we look forward to you know pioneering those efforts uh, with uh, with our clients. Well, this has been a, an ex- exciting and fascinating conversation. Uh, thank you so much, Rob, for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. To get more AI news and insights, visit our website at AIbusiness.com. Until next time, thank you for listening.